Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son talk about fantasy, science fiction, and other nerdy things that we enjoy. Today, there's no son around here. Zach is off doing it. You know, I think he's actually at work. Some poor people are working today. I'm off and have extra time for content, and I found a couple of other people to join me here today who also, at the moment, aren't working. Uh, Eric, you don't work today, right? You're off. Colin, do you work tonight or are you? I work tonight. I work tonight. Yeah. So he's available today and able to come, and we're going to get together. We're going to have some fun today talking about one of our favorite authors and one of his favorite books. Before we do that, I do just want to remind all of you if you like what you see today, don't forget to let me know by hitting the like button down below. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we would be honored to have another subscriber added to our channel. If you got any thoughts on what we share today, use that comment box down below and we'll be sure to respond and look in the show notes for other ways you can interact with Zach and I all over social media, our Discord server, even email. You can send us an email. We do read them. So we've got these guests and we ought to meet who these people are. Eric, it's good to have you here. You've been on the show once before. Yep. Talk to us. How you doing? Stephen King. Who are you? <laughs> well, hi, everyone, and thank you, Jim, for having me on again. Uh, like I said, these two are the podcasters. I'm just a guy, but uh, in my life, I'm a principal of a preschool through eighth grade school and uh, a fantasy nerd, not to the same level, but I, I'm a Stephen King constant reader for sure. And most recently, I am an author. So I, I just published my first uh, fantasy book. for It's written for uh, 10 to 12-year-olds. Thank you. Jake the Dragon Talker. Number two is coming out in May. So this has been a super fun adventure. Um, tried to go the traditional route for a long time and then uh, ended up deciding to retain full creative control and self-publish. So uh, it's been great. Been getting a lot of uh, positive stuff from it and it's just been a fun ride. So, um, but, but we're here to talk about Stephen King today. By the way, the second book is dedicated to Stephen King. How nerdy is that? <laughs> When you're an author who loves Stephen King, it's easy for his works to influence yours. So I have enjoyed finding those things in these books that, you know, if nobody knows Stephen King, they won't notice. But if they know, they know. And it's lots, it's great. Lots of Stephen King Easter eggs in these, in these books that I'm writing, yes. And Colin, welcome back. This is your second appearance on our channel. Uh, tell us about yourself and uh, what you do, what Colin's Corner is about. Yeah, Colin's Corner is, uh, the idea was just to have my little corner of the internet where I mainly talk about fantasy, science fiction, and horror, but uh, just whatever I'm reading and feel like talking about. I, I'm a pretty positive channel. I don't do any like negative rant blast reviews because that stuff's not as fun for me to talk about, so... I talk about books I love with people that love books that I love and authors that I love. And uh, I want to thank Jim for having me on again. We had a blast in our first discussion on Malazan. And uh, Eric, congratulations on publishing a book. That is an amazing feat. Thank you. And uh, we have a little bit of a connection because I'm in school to become an elementary school teacher. So very um, cool. nice. The world needs more teachers. Spreading, spreading the knowledge. Maybe not of Stephen King at that age, but the love of reading. <laughs> the love of reading for sure. Definitely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and Colin, I hadn't mentioned that. I spent years and years <clears throat> as a teacher, 
as well. Oh, wow. Was, okay. And I was also a principal and now technically kind of a superintendent. It's complicated. But uh, education, encouraging kids to love to learn and to love to read is huge. And I can say way back when I made a whole bunch of nerds out of my fifth graders, we read The Hobbit together. And then oh, yeah. we went through the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And I still have some of those kids who connect with me on Facebook and are still fantasy nerds. So that's awesome. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And awesome. well, and, and I'll say to you too, Colin, being a teacher, um, you're going to teach them all kinds of curriculum stuff, but, but give them yourself too, because that's, that's cool. And now as a principal, that's been another super cool thing about self-publishing is all the kids at my school are like, you made a book. Could I do that? And I'm like, you sure <laughs> yes. you certainly could. I can tell you yes. how. So it's a, it's neat to be able to inspire kids and just, just, uh, share your passions with them so that's awesome well we've got a virtual room full of people in the education field what do yeah. you know there you go <laughs> you know it's it's an interesting thing a lot of teachers actually like to read go figure yeah. <laughs> and therefore we find people who put out a lot of books and we're here to talk about one of those guys today stephen king who keeps writing so many books but in particular, we're going to focus on his biggest, his longest book of all, The Stand, which wasn't as long as it is when it first came out. It was, you know, first published back in 1978. And I, I love the story as I understand it. He had this vision for this book and the publishers were like, dude, we're not going to publish a book that long. OK, jump ahead 12 years later and they're like. Oh, oh, yes, Mr. King, whatever you'd like now. And 400 more pages get added. And the unabridged real version, as I like to think of it, of the stand is now what is available to everyone. But quite awesome. Now, when he did go ahead and republish, he also updated it. So it changed time-wise. He moved it up 10 years. So it's set in 1990. And, uh, you know, there were there's a lot of cultural Pop America references in here. And he had to shift all of that. I think he got most of it. But it, there's little nuances that are scattered in there that, mm, okay, well, may, he maybe should have tweaked that too. Uh, before we talk any more about it, I do want to remind everybody who's watching this that this is a full spoil episode. We're going to talk about The Stand in any way, shape, and form we feel like. So if you've not read this yet... This is about as far as you should go in this video. Uh, we would hate to think we've ruined this excellent book for you. So go read it. Come back in about a month when you're done. <laughs> Unless you listen on Audible at like 3.0 speed. And then you can make it in maybe a week. Uh, it's a long <laughs> book, okay? It's over a thousand pages. I think it's 45 or 46 hours on audiobook if you listen at regular speed. It's, it's a lot. And I am a regular speed listener. I, I always too. want the Audible book the way they intended it. I'm glad to hear you're like that, Eric, because most people I found aren't, at least not content creators. They like yeah. they churn if through I, these. If things. I'm listening, just listening, uh -huh. I'm pretty close to regular speed. I think I make it like 1.15, maybe. It depends how quick the audio book narrator is, because sometimes I feel like it's slower than I would even read it aloud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Uh, but if I'm reading, because I'll do a lot of immersive reading, so I'll read alongside listening to the audiobook. So sometimes when I do that, I'll go to like maybe 1.7, which is still way slower than I would physically read by myself. 
but mm. I agree. It sounds goofy if you speed it up too much. And I also feel like I'm yeah. just missing stuff. That's it. I want the time to really be able to absorb what I'm getting. My son will not listen to things slower than 1.5. It's like, it just feels way too slow to him. And I'm like, all right, well, obviously they knew people would feel that way. Since you can change the speeds, then it doesn't sound like the chipmunks. When you do it, it still works. I've never even attempted to change the speed. <laughs> I had a book I was going to talk with another content creator on, and the episode was coming up and I wasn't finished, so I had to churn through it, and I turned it up to 1.75, and I felt dirty the whole time. I'm like, this is wrong. This is wrong. But I made the deadline. <laughs> you do what you got to do. Uh, back to the stand, a couple last details about it. Uh, it's been a successful and popular book ever since it came out. It's considered one of Stephen King's best novels. Uh, invariably, if you look and find any top 100 book list somewhere, the stand is somewhere on it. Not just in science fiction and fantasy, just as a novel, as a work of fiction. It's considered a classic. Uh, when it was first published in 78, it was nominated for the World Fantasy Award Best Novel. It didn't win. I didn't look up what beat it. I'm kind of curious now. But at least it was recognized. It's way up there. And it's been adapted twice in the United States as miniseries. First time back in 94. Have you guys seen the version that was on in 94? Yes. Yeah, I saw it on TV yeah. when it came out. I loved it. I, it was just, ah, this is great. Then they did it again in 2020, which was, you right before this. And then into this pandemic thing. That, that was kind of a little meta. <laughs> But uh, this that second miniseries came from the attempt to try to make a full movie out of The Stand. They were going to try to adapt it. Then they realized they could, it's too much. It was too big. Then they were like, well, let's do a series of movies, which have been done now. You know, you can do two, three, even four movies to tell a big story. And the effort just finally collapsed in on itself. They sold the rights to CBS. And that's how we got another miniseries. They just couldn't do it in the theater. I did I not, not watch the, that one. the new one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I haven't finished the new one. I, um, everything I've said I've seen from real fans is like, don't, 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 don't bother. <laughs> yeah, I I watched the first couple episodes and I wasn't getting the vibe. I'm like, eh. yeah, and maybe because yeah, I this, enjoyed the first one too much, the first miniseries. This this one and the the adaptation of the Dark Tower are ones that true fans. Uh, have just been very turned off by, so I just haven't prioritized them at all. Yeah. I, I'm, I'll probably watch them at some point, but like as a fan of the books, they're not a high priority for me. Right. So. Yeah, I have not watched the movie version of The Dark Tower. I've seen a few clips, but I'm like, mm, everything I've heard about it, that's not the movie I'd want. Eric, I kind of yeah. saw you, same thing. It, if you totally divorce it from the books and watch it as an action movie, it's it's okay. <laughs> Even then, it's not a great movie, but yeah. Yeah, when you love the source material so much, you hate to see them make such drastic changes in an adaptation. Sometimes it feels kind of necessary. There are some things that are really difficult to bring to the screen because of the way they're written, yeah. but I'm not sure if that's true of the Dark Tower movie, if that justifies the changes they made. I couldn't say since I haven't watched it. Well, let's get back to talking specifically now The Stand. Although it seems appropriate we talked a little bit about The Dark Tower. 
there are crossovers uh, for sure. I think we'll get to that later in our questions here. But first off, we're all Stephen King fans here. So let me ask you individually, where does The Stand fall for you in comparison to his other works? I haven't read everything of Stephen King yet, but I've read a lot. Eric, you have read everything, haven't you? Yeah. Yep. Which just you know just we kind of bow down to there. That's that's very impressive. Pretty constant reader. Yes. Most of it more than once too. But Jim knows I have a problem because uh, unlike you guys, I I'm kind of obsessive about Stephen King. Like it's hard for me to read other authors. So I'm like, hmm, which Stephen King will I want to read again now? Um, <laughs> so but, let me ask you first, Eric, since you've read it all, where do you put the stand in comparison to the rest of his library? Uh, it. It's definitely not the top top because um, I do feel like, well, first of all, having tried to write my own book now, I don't know how you would keep a story together this long. But it, but uh, that said, it, it's not as tight as most of his other books. You can you can tell somewhere in the middle. Well, if you know the backstory, you know he got stuck for a long time, a long time, and he was like, I have all these people, I don't know what to do, and then on one of his famous walks. He said, aha, I'll just blow some of them up. <laughs> and that's how he restarted. But I feel like you can kind of tell that it wanders a little. And I don't mind that because I love Stephen King wandering. But it's not it's not my top. Um, but I think it would be in my top five just because it's so epic. And it's so uh, quintessentially Stephen King. Um, probably my very favorite is It. And the Dark Tower is up there too. If you can make that into one, a series into one, um, the stand is up there, but it, but it's not my okay. Super so top, top five, you're saying uh, that's fair. Yeah. We don't have to pin you down specific there. That's good, Colin. What about you? So I made, uh, which still to this day gets the most views on my channel. I made my top ten, top ten Stephen King books of what I've currently read. At the time, I had only read I think thirty three books. So I still had a lot to go and I've probably read five to seven more since I made the list. Mm -hmm. And I think the stand is still probably in about the same spot. I put it at number four. Um, there were a few above it, namely 112263. I put at number three. It was number two. And for me, my favorite is The Shining. Uh, mm, interesting. And the reason is fairly similar to what Eric kind of alluded to, although I never lost attention the entire time with the stand. And I think part of that is because I am such a fan of Stephen King in general, that even on his duds, as some people like to call them, or kind of, you know, just meandering through the text, I love reading it. So I still was, I mean, it was still a page turner for me the entire time. Although I will say in that middle section, there was some times where I was like, all right, what are we doing here? Like, can we like get to the next big plot point? Um, and I guess we'll probably get to, you know, this maybe a little bit later, but I didn't love the ending. I didn't hate the ending, but it felt just I don't know. I just wanted this huge, long epic to end in a way that felt really satisfying. And to me, it didn't feel entirely satisfying. So that kind of bumped it down just, just a little bit. It's still number four because it's so epic and it's so amazing. And there's just so many characters that you love or you love to hate. And it's just, 
I don't like Eric said. I don't understand how anybody could. It's no wonder he got stuck. I don't know how you keep all the stuff in line without like the help of a team of people saying, well, you had this guy doing this and this guy doing this. So you got to get, you know, like, how do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For me, it changes all the time as to where I'd put my top five. It's definitely up in the top five. It might be number one. It's definitely the one for me that I've read the most times of any of the Stephen King books that I really enjoyed. This is the one I've come back to repeatedly. It just fascinates me, uh, you know, and, and it's really it's a, it's two different books. It feels like at times. And I love both the books, you know, the whole first half, the whole second half. There's a definite shift, um, but both styles, both stories even though they're clearly interwoven uh they both fascinate me i've really enjoyed and every time i decide hey it's time to do the stand again i look forward to it um but yeah it's it's right up there with it um pet cemetery is another one i really enjoy uh you're twisted jim i know i'm dark <laughs> i did just recently read 11 63 that was one of my stephen king reads this year and that's a good one i don't think it's in my top five but i did really? enjoy it um i could see that yeah but it, it's in the top half that one holds a special place in my heart because it is the very first stephen king book i ever read really wow yes. well that's yep. I'm glad that's what you started with, as opposed to, you know, something like... From a Buick 8. That's exactly what I was going to say. That was a really tough one. No offense, Stephen. (laughs) Okay. When did you first find The Stand? And, And when you actually first read it, was it the abridged version? Or did you only read the unabridged version? Um... Colin, you're the you're the newest to Stephen King, so let me ask you: uh, When did you find the stand? So I'll give a little bit of a further backstory. This was the year. Uh, let me think about what year it was. I think it was 2020. Um, so it was, of course, during the pandemic, and mm-hmm. uh, I had gone on a family vacation. Um, went to a books. This is a place we go every year. We go to Rehoboth Beach. And uh, there's a bookstore there that we just every year we go to. It's like a little, you know, it's a nostalgic kind of place. And at the time, I wasn't I wasn't a big reader. Um, I I had been previously in my life and had fallen away from it. And for some reason, I wandered in there. And that's when I picked up 112263. I don't know what made me do it. Uh, I don't know why someone that wasn't reading at all picked this 800 page book to read. But I flew through it. And it reminded me why I used to love reading so much. And that kind of sparked my booktube journey. So I read that and I was like, I need more of this. So I started to find people like Mike's book reviews and a guy named Jake from the bookish drummer who talked a lot about Stephen King. And so, of course, I started watching the lists, the people's ranking their Stephen King lists and the stand always was near, if not people's number one. Um, everyone was talking about how if you, you know, want to be a constant reader, you need to read The Stand. Uh, and so I started to build the anticipation a little bit. And uh, I think it was my mom, who has always been a supporter of my reading journey, but she bought me the nice orange with the gold gilded edges, Barnes and Noble edition of The Stand. And I ended up reading it in 2021 as part of my 
basically year of Stephen King, I read this crazy list of all the books that tie into the Dark Tower, and The Stand was one of them. Oh, yes. So I was reading through the Dark Tower proper and all the ancillary novels that even have a remote connection to it because I wanted to read more Stephen King and I wanted to read the Dark Tower, and The Stand was in there. So I read it as part of that journey, and um, I probably read it... I didn't do any audiobook for this. I did it all physically, and I think I finished it in like two weeks, which was really fast for me. Impressive, it's yeah. Work. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't put it down though. I mean, there were so many nights That's I was up thing. till one, yeah. two in the morning just reading. Just I couldn't put it down. So um, that was how I I ended up finding it via BookTube, and um, I waited long enough to like build that anticipation. So when I finally opened the the cover of the stand, I was like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> finally doing it <laughs> there you go so you've yeah. read it though just once then <clears throat> just one time yeah yep yep but the full unabridged version yeah the whole thing yep yep eric how about you i can't remember exactly when the first time was i i'm pretty sure that i discovered stephen king in the second half of high school but it could have been the first half of college too i'm like getting far enough beyond those years that i'm like when was that exactly i i'm pretty sure i've read it three times now twice in print and then the last time was also uh 2021 uh in audiobook form so um and i i laughed at your question jim and it did, was it the abridged or straight to the good stuff i was 11 years old in the 1990 so <laughs> the the abridged version was was obliterated by the time i was reading stephen king so i don't think i've even seen the the abridged version anywhere i've never i've never found one yeah well my <laughs> first time reading it was the abridged version uh, that that was back in college in the 80s so the new version hadn't come out yet though it wasn't very far after i graduated college in 1990 so the next time i read the stand it was what there's a new version out and I grabbed it and read it again. And it was so much better. Then you got to meet the kid. <laughs> so much better. Oh man. And then I've read it since then two more times. So the full unabridged I've read three times. I read the shorter version once I have another plan to read this, but every time I've done it so far has been physical. This next time will be an audio read because I just finished the dark tower for the second time. And now, you know, the dark tower makes so much more sense when you've read a lot more Stephen King. So now that I have, especially, and it's fresh in my mind, I want to go back and do the stand again. Uh, Cause the tie-ins are just great. Be careful, Jim, you're going to get skewed off your reading list by Stephen King and become I me. Oh, it happens. This is why <laughs> everything else can you know, wait. There's so much Stephen King. <laughs> 1300 books on my TBR and it never gets shorter because of things like this. And you're talking about reading the stand multiple times. It's like, dude, you're never going to get through that <laughs> TBR. <laughs> but you do what you do and you love what you love. So that's the way it is. Stephen King is never a waste of time. That's what I said. No, I agree. Now, what's the benefit of doing a reread? You know, that's that's one of the things that obviously I've read it a number of times and, and I've defined this in the past with other books too. Uh, any real quality book, you don't fully appreciate the first time. It should be good enough that you thoroughly enjoy it the first time. I have no patience for books that aren't really any good until the reread. It's like, no, no. I, yeah. 
And and Colin, you mentioned about being a positive uh, YouTube channel and stuff. I'm the same. We we don't tend to waste our time bashing books. So there are a few I could name right now that I won't. But the books that you really have to get through the first time and then you'll appreciate them. The stand is not like that. The stand is fantastic the first time. But when I did a reread, I realized how much I'd missed. There's so much subtlety in here. So many little little tidbits of, of stuff that you understand later in the book, but you, you had no idea what you were reading the first time through that on the second time is very satisfying. So that's certainly one of the benefits I saw in doing a reread. Uh, Eric, are there other benefits you'd see for rereading The Stand? Yeah, I I thought about two, and one is more general, like, like you said, um, but it's such a long story that... You know, by the time you get finished, you could barely remember the start. So, so a reread of a long story is satisfying because you have the the main pieces in your mind still, and then you can you can go. It's like a detail sweep, like you just said. Um, so you go back through. You kind of you you know the main beats, but you see the details and uh, and a, and then um, the other thing that I thought was I've I've learned much more about writing my own story. And, and as I grow as a reader is seeing the themes, seeing the, like asking myself, what is he trying to, what does he want to say? Mm-hmm. So I, on all books that I reread, I think the theme starts jumping out more, more at me. And that's a fun and challenging thing about writing a book is, um, you know, you want the top, the surface adventure to be great and fun and you want it to carry people along, but you also want to say something. Um, and, and themes are like the, those deeper things you want to say. So I find it fascinating to look for Stephen King's themes um, throughout. And and a book like this has more than one theme, obviously. So that's what I like on the reread. Colin, are we inspiring you to want to start rereading soon? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I've not read, although I haven't reread The Stand quite yet, because as Eric was saying, there are so many King books that I still need to and want to get to. I can speak on rereading in general and, and uh, just briefly, because although there are always books like Jim referenced on my TBR that I would like to get to, there are some authors that feel like home to me and I will always want to read them. And a couple of them recently are Stephen King, of course, and I've reread it Um and a couple of other ones, but what becomes apparent to me is kind of, again, what Eric was alluding to it. It makes me really privy to how talented authors are at their craft, because at first glance for many of the stories that we read as for me, I'm just so enveloped in the story itself that I don't even really give myself time to pick up on the nitty gritty details because I'm just kind of flying through it. I, I want to know, know what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 But when I go back and reread, you can see instances where they're foreshadowing very slightly or introducing a character that will become a, a major player. And I'll be like, I didn't even realize they introduced this character this early because they became such a ma- massive part of the story mm-hmm. that it was just, I glanced over it. And in this book, there's so, so many characters that get introduced kind of almost right off the rip. I mean, within the first hundred pages, which in another novel would be a lot of time, but in this novel is like a tenth of the time. We're just like, bang, here's this person, bang, here's this person, bang, here's this person. 
and we get to spend so much time with them that I forget how they're introduced and some of their backstories and why they act the way they act. And all of that is deliberately planted information by an author that is really rewarding to realize when you reread stuff like this, you're like, Oh, this is why Larry is like this. This is why I don't know. Harold is like this. Like I, I forget their backstories. I forget their upbringings. And we get a lot of that when we first meet them. So I can't wait to reread this. I'll probably do it on audio when I reread it. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to reread this one because I know there's so much information that just yeah went right over my head. The saying that goes through my head again and again on a reread is, "Oh, I see what you did there," because you do you catch those things. And one of the things you said just now that was the most telling was recognizing how early something gets introduced. When you you had no idea at the time on the first read that that was going to be significant. On the reread, you're like, that's brilliant. And then I missed it. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk some of these particulars. We've said a few names already. Uh, Who are the most interesting characters to you? You may just have one. You may have a few. But, you know, who is it that, wow, you just love that person's arc or the things that they do or what they mean to the story? Um, you know, who, who is it for you? I'm going to throw one out. I, it's an easy one. Stu Redmond, man. I love Stu and his whole storyline is amazing, but, uh, give us, give us names. What do you got? Well, uh, so, so in your prep for us, Jim, you said most interesting and then later favorite. So I got those confused at first, um, till I got through the whole list. To me, one of the most interesting is the kid. Uh, Oh, sure. I don't think I've ever encountered another character like this like this person in any other fiction and you never really you know he has a fairly short arc in the whole scheme of things so you never really find out like who is this guy and how did he get like this but uh just fascinating terrifying uh and after i read the book i I just find myself being like saying things to people and then saying like how do you like that happy crappy and (laughs) (laughs) the things the kid says it's just so so over the top crazy i feel like uh stephen king just like cooked him up and thought this is gonna be a ball and just had so much fun with him i i also imagine that it was extra painful to cut him for the abridged version and extra joyful to bring him back for the unabridged uh because what a what an interesting character yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, highlighted, though. You're, you're right. Talking about our favorite characters, that's a different question. So we are saying specifically the most interesting for you. Yeah. Uh, so great one, the kid. Colin, how about you? I think so. There's so many characters in this that could literally have their own story. Um, it blew my mind, like, just imagining i mean we've got the kid we've of course got randall flag i mean any of the main characters besides maybe like franny wasn't all that like exciting but still a very believable character but there's so many that could just like i would follow their own story like larry i mean he's got yeah he's like a superstar mm-hmm. it'd be fun to follow his life but one of the most interesting characters from a character development standpoint for me throughout my first read was um It's actually Nadine. Sure. Uh, She just like, 
nobody gave her a real chance to like fit in with what was going on anywhere and i felt like she was just like yearning to be accepted somewhere and i don't even know if she necessarily wanted to become part of flag's camp but flag was just the guy that accepted all of the cast outs no matter what and mm -hmm. i feel like the, the good side never gave nadine an honest chance and i feel like if they would have she could have been an asset to them but she went through so much just kind of like emotional turmoil just trying to find love and acceptance throughout this whole thing in her own way and kind of you know just was a little bit of a tragic character and and i'm somebody that enjoys tragedy in the character or a storyline because that gets me really emotionally attached to their storyline so i was always very interested in what she was trying to do and i really appreciated her little side arc throughout this just to i mean he gave so many glimpses into people's like psyches and i feel like by the end she just had gone like crazy like just trying to like nobody wants me <laughs> you know yeah. and and it was sad because she wasn't necessarily the most likable character but I also like didn't want to see horrible things happen to her so i don't know that, that was the most interesting character i think for me somehow you talk about tragic characters another one of the very interesting fascinating characters that ugh, at times too harold harold you know oh, yeah so much potential in this person that could have been and yet, for things that go all the way back to his backstory and beginning, he's just on a different path. And the choices he makes, you're like, oh, dude, come on. Oh, so that's a very interesting character. You know, he could have taken different turns at so many different points and been amazing. Could have chosen to, didn't. You know. Well, so. and guys like, guys like Harold show what Colin was saying earlier, King's expertise of the craft i mean his even his uh bad guys are so multifaceted like you you don't you do hate harold but you also feel for him and you and you root for him mm -hmm. even though you still find him repulsive <laughs> it, to be able to create a character that you can feel all those things for and understand why he is the way he is it's like brilliant because it's you know it's super easy to write a, a one-dimensional bad guy this guy's just a, a shit that everyone hates but you know by by the end where when harold meets his his end it's both satisfying and really sad yeah yeah another fascinating uh, character is actually a duo here uh nick and tom you know tom cullen uh <laughs> you've got you've got the 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 deaf guy <laughs> who is with the mentally disabled person and, and just the way they interact with each other. And I love Tom Cullen. He's just so adorable in some ways, you know, but uh, to see their interactions through much of it. And, and then later in the story, uh, what Tom goes on to be able to do is just incredible. Uh, another very moving character, I find. Um, so that definitely interesting. And the way King wrote that character, again, showed his skill as a story writer, uh, as an author. Uh, because 
you know, there are some kinds of uh, characters that authors might try to write and fall very flat and end up offending people. It's a caricature. That's not what he pulls off here. There's depth to all of his characters. And uh, we find that consistently in everything he writes, even the bad books. <laughs> the characters are still great. Oh, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on, on Nick Andros or Tom Cullen? I think uh, those those guys, besides Flag, are the most supernatural characters. I mean, Nick, Nick almost feels like like he has the shining, if you will, mm. <laughs> or some kind of extra touch. And then, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't he come back after death and still talk, still give advice? Talk to Tom. But he kind of uses the force. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> nice. I like that. His force ghost comes yeah. to help guide. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> I love I love that pair as well and but but yeah they they're the I think of them as the supernatural element. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, King has a way of <clears throat> his characters feel so real, like they could all be somebody that I know or that I've met or that I've heard about or they they feel like real people and they're very layered. It it feels like of all the characters that we get to follow in this like none of them are just throwaway characters to fill you know, like space on the page. Right. But one of my favorite things that King most of the time does really well is he'll add little stuff like you were just talking about, Eric, that just take a character that feels so realistic, but then add like a fantasy sci-fi element to it. Like there's just yeah. all of a sudden so much more and and I don't need it to be explained because it just makes me wonder. Like, I remember thinking, like, does he have the shine? Like, I remember thinking that at one point. And it never gets talked about. It never gets explained. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad that it doesn't because it makes me think about that character in a different way. I'm like, huh, there is there's even more to this character than I originally thought there was. And that just makes it all the much more fun to, like, follow them and wonder in future situations. Are they using that thing? Or is do other people know this is happening? Like... It just adds a mystery element mm -hmm. to it that that's just more fun to follow. Speaking of the supernatural, we've got Mother Abigail calling, calling the people. It never fully explained either, but that was, what was that? <laughs> she has this ability and yet she's not really doing anything. It's just who she is and how she's being used. That was, uh, it, that's where the story clearly moves past being about a pandemic, okay? You know, obviously we've just come through a pandemic, COVID-19. It's still out there, people still getting it, but thankfully people are not dying in droves. It's just something we've come to live with now. But a lot of people think of the stand, and I mean, the cover, it's about a pandemic, right? Bunch of people die. Mm, not really. Yeah. I mean, yes. The but first that's act. <laughs> that's the backdrop upon which this story, this epic tale of good versus evil and a, a real supernatural element is told. Um, that's something that's easy to miss the first time you read that, you know, there's uh, the pandemic, you know, is is not just a, ooh, a virus. And, you know, there's there's still the supernatural element even involved in that, that, that people definitely miss the first time through. Uh, they did a nice job in the miniseries on highlighting that element, I thought. Yeah. Well, and a, a neat thing, too, like we've been talking about this whole time, uh, Mother Abigail, obviously, the 
this the supernatural character the caller of the good the sort of center of the the side of good but she also has a super interesting well-painted backstory that mm-hmm. is like well okay so that's how she is the way she is very cool and it's i mean to me it's it's like where does he come up with all this because uh, you know the further away a character gets from your own self the harder it is to to live in them and and paint them but he does it in a way that you're like oh now i'm now i'm a super poor rural black family and this is my life and this is what i do and the whole scene with her singing for the church and stuff it's like did this did you actually see this how could you just make this up <laughs> so, just an amazing backstory that paints her yeah. as a really rich character there's a couple specific scenes that still stick out in my mind. That was one of them that yeah. stuck out in my mind when I think about the stand and not to get off of the uh, topic of mother Abigail, but the other one that sticks out of my mind was the tunnel scene with Larry. Yeah. That scene. Like I just think about the just dread and terror of that yes. scene. Uh, but just to get back because that scene, like you're exactly right, Eric. It's, it's like, how, how are you able to paint? Cause like, that's not, that wasn't Stephen King's upbringing at all. Right. But I don't know if he does it through research or through just traveling to different, like, I don't understand how he's able to paint such a vivid picture of what it would be like to be a little mother Abigail, just so bravely singing the star spangled banner in front of a room full of people that just don't like her and being able to like get them emotionally invested in this rendition of the star spangled banner like it was just it was so touching and like wow you know like how do you how do you come up with this not only come up with it but display it via words in such a way Mm -hmm. that's relatable to anybody that reads it no matter what their background is um but i thought it was a really to touch on her supernatural ish aspect um i'd be freaked out if i like had a dream about like a townhouse in some random place in the middle of the United States. And then like my wife woke up and was just like, I had this crazy dream last night. Like it was this townhouse. Like it was just this, this, this house. And I'd be like, wait a second. There's no way we had the same. Was there a little old black lady? Yes. Yes. Whoa. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? I'm just like imagining all these characters having this conversation with one another and being like, nervous to even share it because it's such a weird dream and then like sharing it finally and someone being like dude i had the same exact dream like mm-hmm. what <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was a very cool way to spin the supernatural into this story yeah and like, they I, all realize a believable way <laughs> don't think we're in kansas anymore no you're in nebraska <laughs> yeah all right i'm gonna pull an audible on my questions, which I shared with you ahead of time and toss one out of order here. I want to talk about, since we've been talking about characters a lot, which ones are your specific favorite character or characters? Who do you, who do you cheer for the most? Or maybe your favorite is someone you hate the most. I don't know, but who do you, who would you pick as uh, one or more of your favorite characters? Go ahead. Eric. Colin. I went, uh, oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I get I give to Colin. I went first last time. Okay, Colin. But I have one. I have one. So there's a lot of obvious choices. Um, Stu, we mentioned, and I thought about Stu whenever I read through the the prompts. But I don't always. I feel like people when they hear the word favorite think who you loved the most, 
And a lot of times my favorite character is not the character that I loved the most or that I liked the most or that was like mm-hmm. the good guy. Um, my favorite character to read was Harold because of how layered he was and okay. because of how emotionally just back and forth I was with him. Like from the beginning, he just seems like this kind of unassuming, like nerdy, not dangerous, just irritating kind of guy. And like slowly but surely, everyone just kind of realizes this dude is definitely off of his rocker in some <laughs> way, shape or form. And then they realize just how much he's off his rocker and that he's not just this unassuming, just dude to kick to the curb like we we need to be careful about how we deal with harold because he's got crazy plans of his own like psychotic plans that he's cooking up and he's similar to nadine and they even had their i mean they they had like a little bit of story kind of together and like the the way that king was able to make it these two crazy characters find common ground it was like it just became like progressively scarier to me like oh this guy like might sabotage everything that these people have put together and i hate him but i also like want him to write his ways I, like i don't know like i just was so back that. and forth no, that's emotionally great. with him and uh i think it was just amazing that king was able to do that and and make it all believable like it wasn't i never felt like like harold like something he did was just added in for shock value. It all felt like something that that character would actually do in this situation. And that's just a testament again, to King's amazing character work. Completely agree. All right, Eric, you've got one too. Yeah. uh, Well, I'm going a little more boring, but I'll I'll explain. Uh, I'm going to go with Larry Underwood. Ah, Um, That's mine. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. We'll see if our reasoning is the same. I think, uh, you know, again, the stereotypical king, like like you said, people have a thought when they see his book or a certain title, they think horror, gross. They, but but I see Stephen King as a, a very hopeful, very optimistic person and author. And he always has a character or a, there are some exceptions like the Bachman books and stuff, but there's always hope. And Larry has a an awesome redemption arc. Um, just... Uh, it's not as it's not as deep as uh, Danny Torrance and Doctor Sleep, which I don't know if you've read yet, Colin. But me neither. Uh, That's coming okay. up. That's my next. Okay. I think. You're, well, you guys will both there. love that one. But uh, I love a good redemption story, and and you know, the, I, I think that I think when whenever Stephen King has a character that's on a redemption arc, I feel like that's when he's most writing about himself, uh, especially in these these nineties books when once he was uh sober and clean you know he's telling people there's you know there's a bottom but then there's an after you can go up from here you can make different choices you can change and just that refrain of like you ain't no nice guy and how how that just got him to the core and by the end he was like the guy everyone could count on um so i i guess i'm a sucker for redemption arc Colin, I appreciate what you said about tragedies. There, there's a place for that, and it's it's fun. But ultimately, I want the happy ending. <laughs> so, so that's that's why Larry is my pick. Well, I can't say anything better than what you just said about 
about Larry Underwood, uh, where he starts as a character to what he becomes and his ending. I mean, it's just an amazing and incredible journey and it's inspiring. That's, that's what you want to see people to be able to come back from and to become better. Uh, yeah, I, I love everything about Larry Underwood, his stupid decisions early in the book versus the kinds of things he stands up and is willing to do the stand, you know, Larry's amazing. Uh, and, and part of a, a group of characters who are journeying likewise with him in that sense, growing beyond what they were believing in things that they would never have had faith in early on. Uh, yeah. Love Larry Underwood. Any other characters you want to give a shout out to as among your favorites then? Larry would have been my second, but I had a feeling that he might've been somebody else's <laughs> first as well. Um, there's so there's so many. <clears throat> I like um, I liked reading about Lloyd Henry. <laughs> I mean that guy's crazy too, but but also yeah, a very uh, interesting arc of like just total insanity to like I'm terrified. I know I'm serving the Dark Lord, but now I'm stuck. That that was a fun journey as well. I'll give a call back out to the kid because although he was like just absolutely insane. Um, there was a lot of depth to him as well. Uh, like he was painted or wanted to be portrayed as like this just uber macho guy. Like he could handle anything. Don't mess with him. He'll kill you. He's got no remorse. He's got like in in a lot of it we find out was kind of a facade to hide the fact that he was gay. Like that that was like such a like you just. I'm reading him as a character and just like, and he was a fun, very fun character to read. I just thought it was a crazy addition to this story. Like, okay, yeah. the world is falling totally apart wild. and we just, we wander into some absolutely insane guy in the middle of the street. Like, okay, that's believable. And then like, even then he, he takes it, King takes it a step further. And it's like, oh, this guy is like very nuanced and very layered and is like going through demons of his own. And this is how it shows out. Like he's ashamed that he's gay. And so he puts on this crazy macho front to everybody to hide that. And like, yeah. even that was just, you know, again, not a throwaway character. Right. Same, same vein, slightly different. The trash can man. Ah, uh, I was wondering if anybody was <laughs> going to bring him up. Uh, yeah. Totally. You could almost apply all those things Colin just said, but a totally different character with his own with his own shame and struggle and like a, a, a mental problem that just was not treated correctly, was in fact treated very terribly with like mm -hmm. electric shock therapy. And then just the spin into like, what, what would that kind of person become in an apocalyptic situation? Well, he'd, uh, he'd want to blow up the world. Yeah. <laughs> just, just very fun. But terrifying fun. <laughs> terrifying fun. There you go. There you go. We've done a great job talking about a whole bunch of characters and not really getting into Randall Flagg. <clears throat> so let's dive into this character now. And after this, we're going to move into talking about themes of the book. If there's some flow over as we're talking about Randall Flagg, that's perfectly fine as well. But RF... Randall Flagg. Fascinating. The walking dude. Um, I love this character. <laughs> you know, he's, oh, he's everything you want in a villain, in a, 
dark, supernatural, charismatic, compelling, evil person. You know, it's uh, so well written. Um, And the way he can be everything someone wants and then flip on a dime to be your worst nightmare is is ooh, really creepy and really really nicely done uh thoughts any what do you want to say about randall flag i want to go Eric, light go before we really dive in uh i think this was the one excellent casting move in the dark tower movie where flag is also shows up matthew mcconaughey did a really spooky creepy like unhinged randall flag so so now when i do the reread I, I'm seeing Matthew McConaughey with his weird accent and <laughs> just that crazy look he has. Okay. Okay. But anyway, flat. Uh, yeah. See, for me, Flag, it's hard to talk about Flag now because he appears in so many of Stephen King's books and he's not the same exact character in any one. And a lot has been said about that. Like, you know, on the negative side, Stephen King is, he just doesn't care and he makes him whatever he wants him to be. But, but he sort of is a shapeshifter, if you will, a, a character shifter. Absolutely. Um, like you just said, Jim. So, yeah, he's he's a great bad guy. Uh, I also like his weird, 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 weird backstory, which I think it's the stand <laughs> that we get that in, right? Or is it Dark Tower somewhere? He was a kid once. He he had a different... I think it's Dark Tower. I'm sorry. I don't it think might it's be Dark Tower. Dark Tower is it? Because, you know, just having finished... My reread, I don't think it's in the Dark Tower. Okay. I it might be in this then. He has there there's weird things about him. And he he's also psychotic, but he like evidenced some weird powers as a young person and then but he's also kind of like ageless and anyway, he's he's the he's the most uh smoky character to me. Like it he, he'd be really hard to grab onto. Um but also I think again very well written because he's obviously clearly the main bad guy but he's not just a one-dimensional bad guy uh he is no. he is chaos <laughs> that's what he is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think um you know we we my first introduction to him was the man in black blood across the desert and the gunslinger followed that mm-hmm. was my first introduction to and i had heard about uh randall flag and up until the point where I like really started to get into reading Stephen King, to me, the most notorious villain of his was Pennywise. Until I started reading King, I realized how many nods he gives to Randall Flagg or RF in some way. Right. In so many of his other works. And I think the enigmatic aspect of Flagg is part of the just, I don't know, fear of him because... I don't think that we're supposed to understand him, quite honestly. And I think well said. Yes. I think that it would be less scary if I did fully understand him. So yeah. I think that that I feel like that part is deliberate by King. But there's also like he does a really good job of just like I see a crow outside. I think of Randall Flagg. Like in real life, if I see a black bird, I think <laughs> of Randall Flagg. Like that's a that's developing a character. That is like, how can you make an entire species of birds make me think about one of your characters? Like, that's really cool. <laughs> and he's also funny. Like, in a messed up kind oh, of yeah. way, he's oh, a yeah. funny guy. Like, he says funny things. He makes me laugh. Although he's doing absolutely atrocious things. And 
and the other thing that like makes me hate him on an even deeper level is the way that he gains followers is by accepting people that don't get accepted anywhere else like that's so insidious because it makes me like oh he's finally giving these people what they've always wanted but in such a messed up way and they either don't know or they do know and they just don't care like he's just accepting all of the rejects of society all the messed up people all the criminals all the psychos all like anyone that wants to follow him like fully he's like come on you can come don't worry about any of your your past mishaps like i love you and it's like man that's so sick like to give these people finally give them what they want but for such horrible things like I don't know it made him again a very layered character because he's not a good person or a thing at all yeah yeah king does a nice job of showing through flag that evil can be attractive can be compelling it can it can feed what people think they want you know why do we have people who do bad things in this world? Well, sometimes it's because of they have issues. There's, you know, mental instability that drives them to do things that are terrible. But other times it's just they felt like it. They decided, ooh, that sounds fun. And, and there are people that will feed into those who don't hold themselves to moral standards, to a higher purpose, to a, an absolute good and just want to to do what they want to do. And uh, yeah, if you were to say, hey, there's no reason why you can't do what you want to do, a lot of people would find that very attractive. And that's exactly what flag fuels. You know, come and be who you are. There's nothing wrong with you. Come on, I'll take you. I'll accept you. You're right just the way you are. And they love hearing that. And it's the opposite of... Well, yeah, even like the, the trash can man. He's like... Oh, you're you're a pyromaniac. You like to make fires and blow stuff up. Nobody in his life told him that that like, he got shut down for that mm -hmm. everywhere. But flag flag was just like, "Come on, buddy, we got a place for you." There's nothing wrong with you. Stuff up for me, <laughs> I have a big job for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking as you guys were talking, it's it's uh it's that subtlety of evil of you know like using our human our human traits against us. You know, everyone wants community. Everyone wants to belong. Okay, I will give you that. Uh, people people are interested in power. I will give you that. Uh, but there's a that's a that's an illusion. It's it's a it's a trick to get you in. And once you're in and it's too late, you see the the bad side of it, which is isn't that a characteristic of of everything bad that happens in our, in our lives. It's like, well, it looked so good. I knew mm -hmm. it was probably not good, but it, it was so tempting. And then, ah, oh, dang, yep. now, now it's too late and I've messed up and I, I see that. So now it's too late and I've messed up and I can see that. That's exactly what Nadine is thinking eventually in the story. Yep. Yeah. 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 Cause so, I was ready to give her ultimately what she wanted, like fully full love and acceptance of, of, very powerful man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's a price. Let's talk about themes then. You know, we're kind of, I mean, that's all about theme <laughs> right there. You know, the, the price of pursuing your own desires, regardless of whether they're good or not. Uh, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Getting exactly what you want may not be 
what you really want. Exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah. 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 Other themes that jump out for you here? I definitely, uh, I, I see um, Stephen King's Christian upbringing in most of his work. It's it's there, but um, I, I noted a couple things and I don't want to bogart the mic, of course, but so I'll do one at a time. One, one of his themes that uh, he actually talks about in interviews and he's a big fan of Tolkien, but one of the themes I think we see is evil destroys itself um that that like the the way that the bad guys are the way that evil works cannot sustain because it's not a it it never subjugates the will to another's will right willingly (laughs) so so there's it's always a struggle for the power it's not a it's not a teamwork thing Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in many of his books, and I think this is why one reason Stephen King gets nailed for bad endings, but the, the, the bad guys end up, uh, being erased in a very like non epic way. Like the, they just, their evil destroyed itself. Um, I'm thinking of the, uh, the big coffin hunter guy in the, in the dark tower, Jonas, you know, we've all read the dark tower, right? So, so his end, it's, it's built up that whole book, wizard and glasses built, built, built. We're going to go against the big coffin hunters at the end, rolling, bam, one between the eyes and grabs the, the ball is <laughs> it pretty, like pretty low thing. And it's because evil doesn't have a shot at winning. Cause even if it wins, it'll turn on itself and destroy itself. So I, I think that's a big theme that we see here is that flag has built up a, a society but it can't work it can't work because it's it's based on evil on the flip side of that you know there is always a better way the way of the light the way of good but there's no guarantee that by staying true to good purposes that things will be easy that's that's absolutely not true you know things it is hard to be virtuous to do the right thing it's still the right thing and it will be better in the long run. But maybe not for you as an individual, necessarily. Mm-hmm. There's there's a price to pay for honor, for, for virtue, for purpose. And if you stay true to the end, that is its own reward in some very powerful ways. Um, you know, we have some good guys who die at the end. Mm-hmm. They feel pretty good at the end, though, with that sacrifice, with their choice. There's not regret on an epic scale at that point. There's a lot of regret with the bad guys as things fall apart on them, but not the good guys necessarily. No, I agree. I think, you know, one of the more interesting, although this is part of the, I think that part of the book that we were kind of referencing towards the beginning, Eric, where felt like it was maybe dragging a little bit, Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons it was the most interesting to me was in not to get, political at all but it felt to me like we were kind of seeing the makings of a dictatorship versus the makings of a democracy yeah and the, definitely. the trials and tribulations of both of those things like we saw randall flag set up camp very quickly because he mm-hmm. was just commanding people he was telling people what to do where to go people were following him like right and then we, we see just how difficult it truly was for the good side that wanted everybody, even people like Harold, you know, to have a say in this new world that they were creating to live in together. Right. And it showed a lot of like, obviously I think one of the biggest themes that personally stuck out to me was perseverance because these people, I mean, we see them trying to do things, 
in on an individual level, on a group level, um, things that they've worked on for a long time all get messed up because of one event or one person just so quickly. Things that they took months to to build up committees and um, mm -hmm. just boom, one person makes a decision and it shows like it didn't stop them. They still wanted to do the right thing. They still wanted to. They were thinking the good side more in terms of how do we we survive? How do we keep the world, the future surviving? And Randall Flagg the whole time was just like, I want power and I want it right now. Whoever wants that, you can follow me no matter what happens. I don't care. And that's kind of one of the, the things that's the hardest to argue with somebody that's truly evil is you want to say like, well, what do you, what about the people that are going to live longer than you? What about the people that are, what about our kids? What about their kids? They don't care. They just want the power. Now they don't care about the future. They don't care about future generations. Like they just want the power. Now, how do you argue that you're just evil at that point? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Good points. Uh, Another theme I'd toss out here is that uh, nobody is irredeemable. Hmm. Some people make choices to refuse to be redeemed, but that's their choice. I mean, part of the reasons we feel badly for Harold is he had every opportunity to turn it around, to have a new start. Maybe not what he wants things to be, but he could have made a really good life for himself. He had that chance. And he throws it away, spits on it. And it's like, oh, man. But others who could have made bad choices as well chose not to. Sometimes they still they tripped up and they had to pick themselves up again and, and try again. But those who were willing to keep trying, yep, you can. There is a chance to continue to be redeemed. Nobody is so bad off that we're done with you and there's no shot. I think that's that's a theme King is trying to express here. Definitely. I I think that shines through a lot of his work, the theme of redemption. And I, I'm glad you talked about Harold because I was thinking I was stuck on uh, um, Larry. Sorry, I was going to say Lloyd and I knew that was wrong. I was stuck on Larry and his redemption arc. But, you know, I had written down redemption through through service. You know, like the, the evil wants power for me. The, the good wants uh, it to be good for everyone. And I have I have gifts that I can use to for the good of everyone. And both of them did that. But Larry really got it. And Harold, it was like he had a block of like my whole life. I've been downtrodden. And all of a sudden that part was gone. He was cool. He, people gave him a cool nickname that he liked. And he decided to be to stay in his old mindset of like, nah, these people are just messing with me and waiting for their chance to really get me. I'm not mm -hmm. really cool. I'm going to get them instead. Yeah. So he he had an awesome redemption arc that, like you said, Jim, he just said, uh, nope, I'll take this instead. And you really have to, um, to, to be redeemed, you have to give something up. You have to, you, you have to uh, admit that your will is not the way to go. <laughs> At least the way that you've been doing it is not right. So very, very cool, both of those. Um, I think that's, we were talking about The Shining before, um, Jack Torrance's chance at redemption at the end. And that's why Stephen King hates Kubrick's version, because he was just a monster, um, and there was no redemption for Jack. So anyway, why don't I go way off topic? <laughs> <laughs> all good, all good. 
All right, let's uh, move on here. Is there any any character or aspect of this book that you really didn't like? Is there anything you don't care for? Because we're fanboying all over the heck of the stand, but is there anything that you're like, nah, that didn't do it for me. I'd rather that wasn't there. That didn't work. I don't really have one there. I'm just throwing the question out. Well, I'm going to I'm going to piggyback off something Colin said earlier. Franny, a great a great start. An awesome character. And then she just kind of fades slowly into the background and becomes okay. the the woman, the the like the the little woman in the house with her bare feet and it, you know like she had a she started the whole book. I mean, and I really liked her. And Colin, you said something about like all of these people, I can follow their whole story, except maybe Franny. And I was like, uh-huh. Because she he, she just kind of fizzled out and didn't do okay. anything big at the end except become Stu's woman. Which that's that's like the only dig I would have on King in the in the like, you know, old school gender stereotypes and that kind of stuff. It's like, ah, you you built a great great female character and then and then she was just kind of extra at the end but there were other great female characters there are true true can it not be somebody's aspiration to be able to just become Stu's woman and fade into the background i've had enough of having to make all the big decisions and stuff yeah but but i just think like as a character he he started with a strong painting and then it just didn't finish it off so okay feel free to disagree i (laughs) I just think well i'm just going off what colin said like uh she has a real soft ending um that could have been stronger was it terrible no no but yeah i don't i don't think i mean the way i said it is kind of just the way i felt like i kind of just slowly stopped caring about franny's storyline like i wasn't as invested not because of anything that felt disingenuous it just Mm -hmm. Like, after the stuff with Harold trying to, like, make her his, like, mm-hmm. and realizing that, like, he wasn't going to win that battle. Like, after that stuff stopped, I just wasn't that interested. Like, Franny was just another part of the group to me. And in the beginning, she felt like she was going to be a very prominent character throughout. And she was there for everything, but mm-hmm. I quickly became more invested in a lot of other characters. And um, I guess my only gripe, which I did mention was the ending just kind of felt weird to me like i didn't hate it i didn't love it but i didn't hate it and it just felt i mean i guess it kind of aligns a little bit with what you were kind of alluding to with evil eric where in the end these 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 people that flag raised up in his ranks ended up being his downfall and then he just kind of disappears (laughs) like literally just disappears yeah and appears on an island, right? Like as Russell Faraday's. That was another <laughs> RF. It just it felt weird to me. Like I, I just didn't I didn't feel the closure that I wanted to feel. If that makes sense after okay. this really long journey. There we go. I don't know. Did you, did you guys like the ending? I'm good with the ending. Yeah, I I, I understand what you're saying, but it, it worked for me. Eric, what about you? I always temper my my thoughts about the ending because i'm a person especially with these huge long doorstop novels i'm so into it that i don't want it to end no matter what so whenever it ends i'm like oh 
So uh, I'm almost always dissatisfied, but it's not anything to do with the author. It's just that the story is done and now I have to find a new story. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with the ending. I, I can't really criticize it. So we, we said we've all read The Dark Tower. Colin, was that right? You've been through the whole thing too? Yeah. Yep. So is The Stand better if a person has read The Dark Tower or is that irrelevant? Is The Stand great on its own and doesn't need The Dark Tower? Thoughts? Want to go, Eric? I always go first. Go, go ahead, sir. <laughs> so I, as somebody that was exploring King via YouTube, um, I've kind of developed this mindset where it it almost feels gatekeepy in a way to me to profess information like you should read the dark tower before you read the stand if you really want to enjoy the stand to the fullest because other people just don't read books like we do like <laughs> if somebody reads an 1100 page book in a year that's like more pages read than i feel like the majority of adults read for fun in a year and for me to tell somebody that they have to read thousands of other pages to fully enjoy a book that's over a thousand pages feels wrong. And I don't think that you need to read The Dark Tower to fully enjoy The Stand. I think if you're a massive Stephen King fan, you will pick up on certain things, certain nods that happen throughout The Stand that reference The Dark Tower. And you'll have those little moments of, ah, I saw this somewhere else, or ah, this ties into that. But as a great author, Stephen King makes it so that you don't have to understand those things to understand the story and enjoy sure. the story of the stand. So I think if you're a massive Stephen King fan, you can certainly benefit from getting all the little Easter eggs that are thrown in there. But it isn't necessary to understand and enjoy the story of the stand fully, in my opinion. Well said. Eric, what do you think? 100% endorse what Colin just said. Um, and, and as as you said, and I like to think of myself as a true constant reader. Yeah, I, uh, they all stand alone. They're all much more fun having read the other ones because you're like, ooh, but but it's like just like you said in an Easter egg way, not a like oh now I get this because I read those other million pages. Um, so you're you're exactly right. There's not too much to add. It's it it uh, it's a great defense of my obsession with Stephen King and rereads because I always find something else. Um, but but again, yeah, they're they're all standalones and. So I affirm with both of you said, you don't have to read The Dark Tower to get and enjoy The Stand. However, the reverse, I feel very differently about. You best enjoy and appreciate The Dark Tower when you've read The Stand, when you've read other works. And that's coming from my very recent reread of The Dark Tower. It's so much better if you've read all the works that are tied to it, that you've read it that you've read The Stand. You know, these things have direct ties in so many ways that you can read The Dark Tower and it's still good without those, but it's it's a whole nother level better. So it flows that way. Not so much coming out from The Dark Tower. Okay, that, that kind of, that makes sense, actually. Everything flows to The Tower, right? All roads lead to The Tower. That's right. Pause the wheel. Follow the beam. <laughs> Okay, uh, to finish up here, are there any favorite moments from The Stand that you want to talk about or any other last thoughts about this book you want to share? I have lots of favorite scenes 
uh, and some of them we've already talked about, but so I'm going to focus on one here that I just found to be delightful that I just see in my head and makes me shiver and laugh at the same time. And that is um, when Lloyd is in the jail cell thinking about eating the the person who's died next to him and just that whole time of like his rationalization and and then uh when flag then finally rescues him and asks him if he's had a little bite and he's like no no of course not just that that whole scene for me it's weird on a reread i like can't wait to get to that and then i just savor that scene it's a dumb little scene but uh <laughs> you savor it what a choice I savor it like someone's <laughs> dead leg anyway <laughs> I, I love the whole first act all the break all the when society is breaking down scenes all the uh yeah you know this the the scene where, where the video camera is recording the rogue soldiers just assassinating people and the camera then like rolls away all those things super cinematic writing and it's just a ride. It's just a ride of like, wow, what if 98% of the world died? What would it look like? And he shows you. So those kind of things are the things that make me giddy. Absolutely. Colin? That was a great scene. I forgot about that scene. Um, I think uh, this kind of ties into what you were talking about, how the world so suddenly falls into absolute chaos. And... Uh, I got I got to bring back to the tunnel scene, man. That tunnel scene really stuck out in my head because really good one. It's the classic uh, guy in a big city. You know, it falls apart. Like everyone's dead or dying. He's not for some reason, and that's when he meets uh, Rita, and they kind of start their little fling. And mm-hmm. it was just so graphic to me. Like I pictured myself. Like he did such a good job of like they're finally about to get out of the city and their last hurdle is this completely backed up Lincoln tunnel. Like this is what they need to get to the other side. They finally got through all this crap just to get to the Lincoln tunnel in their car and they can't drive it through. It's like something that you wouldn't even think of. They're like, Oh man, we, we finally got out. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't think of this. So then like they have to get out and crawl over cars and, dead bloated bodies and it's silent like you can hear echoes if you drop a stone or knock into something like it was just such a vividly painted like i just imagine being in complete blackness and you you're reaching out and you just you touch just a dead body like what that would feel like would be just so jarring and you gotta climb over it or around it and you might step on one or like it was just so it was a great in this mishmash of genres it was a great stephen king horror moment for me just getting through this and like i would never forget that if i had to do that just thinking about like i'm just crawling over other humans that didn't make it this is devastating (laughs) all right colin so if you haven't read it yet you got to put the talisman on your reading list another i've read the talisman (laughs) you remember that tunnel scene yep stephen king likes tunnels I mean, they are terrifying. <laughs> he does. <laughs> no, those are good moments, good scenes. Definitely bringing back and, and getting me interested again in that reread that I've got to do soon now. Probably going to have to do that sooner because of this episode. You guys just got me thinking about all these things again. <laughs> yes. Um, one of my 
favorite moments. And I, and I mentioned it way early, but when Nick and Tom meet, mm-hmm. you know, Nick has had that whole altercation where he's been so beaten up and, and such. And, and, and now at a time where he, he really needs somebody, he comes upon Tom. And Tom doesn't understand what's going on with Nick at first, but you know how they, they manage to work things out. And, and then you've got the bit with was it Julie. Was that her name? The crazy uh, yeah. girl. Yeah. The crazy lady, you know, <laughs> in a sense, you know, uh, so needy and, and how that, how that goes there. And then, then she ends up getting run off because she's picking on Tom and, and it's like, Oh, Nick. Yes. You know, it's a good scene, but it's, it's, there's a bit to that scene, but just there's layers and all of that, that I, I remember. I hold on to that. And I like that scene. I really liked the rendition of that scene in the miniseries, the first miniseries, the original. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Last call. Now I want to reread, <laughs> read the stand. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's worthy. It's, it's, yeah. it's yes. It's a long book, but it's, you know, it's worth it's it. It's a really good, I mean, if you, well, it's probably intimidating if you've never read King, but it's, it's one of his like anchor books. I would say like people think Stephen King, they think the stand well, and, and it, and the shining and lots of other ones, but the stand is like, we all said it's, it's up in the top five probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just add that. I think um, if you're a book reader, the stand is not slept on. But I feel like if you're like a more of a movie fan of Stephen King's like adaptations, uh, I feel like The Stand maybe doesn't get touted as highly as The Shining and sure. it just as a story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you guys have alluded to and, and just said, it's it is an amazing epic journey the whole way through. Like every bit of it, even the parts that feel slower, like you just by the end you feel like you just you've been on this journey with them and one other very i can't believe we didn't bring this up character that i just want to mention that i loved was kojak (laughs) the dog oh of course it's kojak like there's a dog too yeah what more could you want (laughs) a dog that follows people across many miles yeah a good dog a good boy so you even get an animal companion for all you fantasy fans out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not quite oi, but he's he's getting there. There you go. Yeah, he doesn't talk. <laughs> eek, eek, eek. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for being with here with me here today, guys. This has been a great discussion. Uh, a lot of fun to spend time diving back into a story we've both we've all really enjoyed, yeah. and that we do recommend to all of you viewers if you have you know, done the stand already, do it again. And if you haven't, why were you watching this? But we (laughs) hope you'll continue to encourage others to check out the stand, check out Stephen King. And if they're, you know, it's too long of a book, tell them to go watch the classic miniseries because that 94 adaptation was actually pretty good. It's not 100% faithful, but it's pretty close and it hits all the primary beats as it should. The guy who played Randall Flagg, I can't remember his name right now, but I loved seeing him in anything else after that because it's Randall Flagg, you know. He was a captain, police captain on Law and Order for a while. Was, and like, I like him. Jeremy like Randall Flagg. Oh, man, I can't pull the name out at all. I wonder, I could Google, but this has been over an hour and a half. I probably shouldn't make people wait while I Google it. <laughs> 
uh, he oh, he's a good actor. And, Jamie uh, Sheridan. That's it. Yes, Jamie Sheridan. Uh, he plays Randall Flagg really well too. So I can see Matthew McConaughey doing it. I, that almost makes me want to watch the movie version just to see that. It's still not um, worth it. You'll never yeah. get those hours back. <laughs> good to know. All right. Um, well, thank you everybody for being with us again. Uh, Eric, you want them to buy your book. Where can they find your book? Amazon. Where else? <laughs> and I do or, have an episode or Barnes and Noble. on his book. So if you want to know a little bit more about it, go look at that episode. It's not a long episode. And it's the second book. one's even better with lots of Stephen King Easter eggs for the He's children. Let me read it. It is even better. Yes. <laughs> and Colin, where do they find Colin's Corner? If you type in Colin's Corner YT specifically on YouTube, because um, we have to usurp the other Colin's Corners that are out there. Uh, I'm also Collins Corner YT on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And if you guys are in the fantasy uh, discords from some of the other channels, you will definitely find me active in many of those as well. So, um, yep, come and find me in Collins Corner. There you go. I will great to meet a you, Colin. Link to where <laughs> you well. can find and purchase Eric's book and a quick link to get over to Collins Corner on YouTube down here in the show notes. So, if you don't even want to search, just look in the notes and click. We're making it easy. Okay. Thank you. All right. Me. That's what we'll leave you then, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. We'll talk to you next time. And I'm trying to end. It helps when you don't miss the end.